0: You're listening to an audio message from The Well. A gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. We're going to be in John chapters 18 and 19. And uh, so as you're grabbing your Bibles and as you're turning there, uh, I just want to quickly pray for us. And so if you would uh, pray with me, pray for me, and I'll... Pray for you and for us, Father, uh, Lord. We thank you um, for the the blessing that we have of being able to meet together uh, via technology uh, this evening on Good Friday. And uh, I ask Father that you would give us hearts that would um, be tuned into your Word. Uh, that you would give us your Spirit, help us to hear from you, and that you would help our hearts to be humbled as we contemplate the horror of the arrest and the trials and the death of Jesus. And I trust that you'll do this. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're gonna begin in John chapter 18. Gonna do things a little bit differently than you may be used to if you hear us on Sunday mornings. Gonna read some text, gonna comment, gonna read some more text, gonna comment some more and just help us to contemplate what's happening in this story. So beginning in John chapter 18, verse one, we read that when Jesus had spoken these words, Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Who do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And so Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the father has given me? Now in these opening verses that we've, just read Uh, the drama of the arrest and the trial and the murder of Jesus begins to unfold right Uh, Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane when Judas the betrayer leads this small army into the garden to arrest Jesus now I have personally experienced and felt the pain of the betrayal of a close friend I'm sure that maybe you have too I've also found myself wanting to retaliate against those who would betray us. Imagine that you might understand what this is like, too. And it's encouraging when we read this text to know that Jesus knows intensely knows and has experienced the pain of betrayal and we can also be humbled by the fact that Jesus went to the cross for everyone that his father had given to him and not one of those people that God had placed his father had placed in his hand would not slip this gives us great assurance to know that we will not slip out of Jesus' hand if we've trusted in him You see, Jesus was willing to drink the cup, metaphorically speaking, to drink the cup of his father's wrath so that betrayers, just like you and me, those of us who have betrayed Christ in our sin and have walked away from him and have abandoned him at times, it's good to know that he went to the cross so that betrayers like you and I could become betrayers no more, but become sons and daughters of the king. Isn't that good news? Look at verse 12. (coughs) We read, So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. It's fascinating, don't you think? It's fascinating that God uses even his enemies to both prophesy truthfully about the need for one person, Jesus, to die on behalf of the people. Caiaphas may have never understood the depth of the truth of his words, but John, who wrote this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, He caught Caiaphas' words and then he included them here for our comfort so that we might know that Jesus died for us. It's comforting to know that God's enemies are subject to his divine plans. That even God's enemies become in his sovereign hand, in his foreordained, predestined plan, his enemies become In his hand, in his plan, tiny little tools in his redemptive mission to draw sinners, just like you and me, to himself. Take a look at what happens next. Verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. And so the other disciple probably John, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. And the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. And Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Now it's a a sobering thing to read this and to see, to observe Peter's cowardliness. I can feel uh, Peter's fear as he looked on, as he observed all that was beginning to happen to Jesus, his close friend of three years. He walked with him and ate with him and slept with him and seen all of the miraculous things that Jesus had done for three years. We must never forget and even Peter, who spent night and day for three years with Jesus, still had a tendency to crumble under the weight and the pressure of the temptation to abandon Jesus when the going got tough. This was just the first of Peter's three denials. So the bottom line in this story is that Peter was more concerned with staying warm by the fire while the embers of his heart grew cold towards Jesus, towards his Savior, towards his friend. Really, it's the same story that happens over and over and over again in our lives, isn't it? It's the same story. We grow cold towards Jesus as we grow warm towards our sin. And I pray, my prayer is that the Lord would have mercy on us as we turn our attention back to the growing tension this story. Look at verse 19. We read that the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. and Jesus answered him. I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I have said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things one of the officers standing By struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. In these verses, the Jews basically begin their unlawful series of trials as they level all kinds of accusations and all kinds of abuses against the one whom we would come to know as the lover of our souls because of the deep love that Jesus had for us he endured this the lover of our souls and all of the abuse and all of the accusations are now being leveled against him though he has done absolutely nothing wrong he's done nothing in secret. Everything he's done has been in the open because he is the light of the world. The light of the world has no reason to do things in darkness. No reason to do things in secret like you and I oftentimes do. This underscores the fact that Jesus is our sinless savior. There's no sinful person who could ever pay the price perfectly for our high treason against a perfect God. It's good for us to contemplate the fact that Jesus was wrongfully accused on our behalf. We should have been the ones who were standing before the judge that day. This is what makes the next part of the story so crushing. Pick it up in verse 25. We read that now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it. And he said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it and at once a rooster crowed. Once again, we return to the warmth of the sin of denial. As Peter's heart grows colder and colder towards Jesus with every passing moment. I know what it's like. I'm sure you know what it's like to have warmed myself or to have warmed yourself by the fire of temptation in sin. The thing that I can imagine in my mind is I can see Jesus looking my way as he stands accused, ready to die in my place. As I deny him over and over and over again, I can feel the crushing weight of, of my rejection of Jesus as they lead him to the next place of torment on my behalf. Can you imagine this? Look at verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the home of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover so Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. You see, the reality is, of this story is that the kind of death that Jesus is going to die is going to be the most brutal death known to man at that time. The Romans had devised an evil system of torture that they called crucifixion to kill their subjects excruciatingly and slowly and painfully. It would have taken hours and hours for someone nailed to a cross to die, mostly by asphyxiation. The Jews were so consumed with their evil hatred towards Jesus that they actually accused Jesus of being evil and they enlisted Pilate to do their dirty work for them. Now, lest we begin to feel some kind of hatred towards Jesus' enemies in this story, we have to remember that Jesus went willingly He willingly endured all of this because of his deep love for us. And the reality is that my sin, the evilness of my sin and the evilness of your sin, this is the reason that Jesus went through this. I am the one and you are the one who should have faced this penalty. We are the ones in essence who crucified Jesus that day. Look with me at verse 33. might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. And then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered him, You say that I am a king. And for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? Now I'm reminded here in this moment as we read this text that everything really does boil down to two very black and white issues. Truth and lies. Truth and lies. See, the truth sets me free and lies keep me in prison. Pilate's struggle here is that he doesn't know the truth. Now, he may speak some truth in regards to Jesus being the king of the Jews, but he does not intimately know Jesus. Therefore, he doesn't intimately know the truth, and he certainly doesn't listen to Jesus. So it is interesting when Pilate asks, what is truth? You see, Pilate, the Jews, you, and and I, when we reject Jesus, when we don't listen to Jesus, We choose the only other alternative. We believe lies and we live in a prison of condemnation. Speaking of condemnation, let's look at the next few verses beginning in the latter half of verse 38. After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a a robber. The reality here is that the Jews chose to murder Jesus while setting a known criminal free on the night of Passover. I can feel the meaning of this deeply. You and I are Barabbas. On Passover evening, we are under the curse of the angel of death, much like Israel in Egypt in the Exodus, as they painted the blood above the doorpost to stay safe. The reality is that all of us deserve the death that Jesus is about to experience. We deserve that because of our sin and our rebellion and our transgression against a holy and perfect and righteous God. If Jesus had not willingly come to endure the cross, Barabbas would have died that night. If Jesus hadn't have come and willingly endured the cross, you and I would still be in danger of facing the penalty of our sin. But Jesus did die that night. He died in Barabbas' place, and he died in our place too. And he, not only that, Jesus was beaten brutally before being crucified. Look now at chapter 19, and verse 1. Where we read that then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. According to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all. Lest it have been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Now, Israel is the one with the greater sin because they're the ones that delivered him over to the Romans. But God, the Father, is the one with the greater authority. You see, Pilate is just merely a pawn in this evil plan of the Jews. But Pilate is also part of the redemptive plan of God. There's two plans happening here. An evil plan by the Jews to murder Jesus. And a redemptive plan by God the Father to murder Jesus too. The redemptive plan of God is that Jesus would be pierced for our transgressions. He would be crushed for our iniquities. He would be chastised, mocked, accused for our peace. He would be wounded for our healing. Although he had done no violence whatsoever, he done nothing wrong. There was no deceit or lies in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, according to Isaiah 53. So can you feel the weight of Jesus' sacrifice for you? You contemplate that for a moment. Verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And so when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic, Gabatha. Now, it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold, your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. As I contemplate these verses, I am reminded that to reject Jesus as my king is to choose another king to be my master. See, in making this choice, what I do is I is I choose to shout right alongside the Jews. Crucify him. He's not my king. See, to choose anything or anyone other than Christ is to place myself in the judgment seat right alongside Pilate as we both hand Jesus over to be crucified. This is what you and I are guilty of as we contemplate the fact that Jesus was guilty of nothing. latter half of verse 16, we read that so they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. In these verses, Pilate's words, his own words, condemn him. He rightly identifies Jesus as the king of the Jews. He's not the kind of nation-conquering political king that you would look for. Jesus is the Satan-defeating, the sin-conquering, the death-defying king that the Jews have been waiting for for many, many years. But even they missed it by a million miles They couldn't handle the thought that Jesus was a suffering Messiah king. You see, crucifixion to them was a sign of weakness. It was a a curse. Curse be anyone who hangs on a tree. They rejected Jesus as their king and they chose the only other alternative in his place, even though Jesus died in their place. This makes me think of the Many times that I choose some kind of sin on any given day from the smallest and tiniest of little white lies to the largest of lust-filled thoughts in my mind. This is me in these moments of sin choosing the king that murdered my Savior. Look at verse 23. but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. You see, the cross of Christ is a horrendous and humiliating and dividing and unifying instrument. It's horrendous. It's humiliating. It's dividing and it's unifying. The cross of Christ is horrendous when we contemplate the pain and the suffering of Jesus in our place. The cross of Christ is absolutely humiliating when we think about the truth that it should have been you and I hanging there instead, completely naked and in- exposed in front of the world. The cross of Christ is dividing. When you think about his enemies dividing his clothes among them, but it's also dividing when you recognize that anyone who rejects Jesus does not belong to Jesus' family. They're only there for the sport. They're only there for the entertainment of things. You see, the cross is no laughing matter. But for them, it was a laughing matter. And it divided them from among the family of the redeemed. The cross, thankfully, gladly, is also unifying for those who trust in Jesus. Just like the disciple, John. And just like Jesus' mother, followers of Jesus, believers in the cross of Christ, we unite together around the cross of Christ to care for one another. You see, the bloody cross is what unites us as believers because through this instrument of torture and pain and death, we become true family with God as our Father. Look at verse 28. We read that after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. See, this is the moment. This is the apex of the whole story. This is the the climax of the chapters that we've been reading today. Jesus' physical thirst being quenched with sour wine on a hyssop branch. It reminds me of the sourness and the bitterness of my sin that makes my entire being thirst. The only thing that can satisfy, the only thing that can transform my thirst is the blood of Jesus. You see, just as the blood of sacrifice was smeared over the doorposts of Israel in Egypt during the Exodus, as the angel of death flew over so that they might have life, so too You and I need the blood of Jesus smeared over our hearts so that we might be ransomed, renewed, redeemed, transformed, justified, made right, bought back from the penalty of our sin. This is what makes these three words, it is finished, so overwhelming. They're overwhelming because what was accomplished that day in that very moment was the payment and the ransom for my sins, the cleansing of my sin, the removal of my sin against God the Father. The scriptures teach us that even though our hands have acted like harlots, even though our hands are stained in the blood of our work, It's the blood of Christ that removes those sins. In that moment, Jesus signed my adoption papers in his blood as he took the full brunt of God's righteous and just wrath against me for my sin. And in that moment, I became a member of heaven's family. And so did you if you've trusted in Jesus today. And what happened in that moment is that God became our heavenly father. Those three words, it is finished are laced with three other words. It is finished. I love you. Since it was the day of preparation, verse 31, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that, this, that he is telling the truth. Catch this, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. You see, John is so careful to cover all of the legal and all of the prophetic connections so that you and I would have no reason, no excuse not to believe. All the prophetic fulfillment that is taking place throughout this story is very similar to covering the state of Texas with a a few feet deep. The entire state, a few feet deep with silver dollars. And then drop one silver dollar into that mix with one side of that silver dollar painted white. And then drop a blindfolded man on a parachute from a helicopter into the state of Texas and instruct that man to grab the one silver dollar. And then he actually accomplishes it on his first try. You see, that's the odds of Jesus being the one who fulfills all of these prophecies. And, And John records these things so that you and I might have the opportunity to believe. And the question in all of this is, do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus? Not do you believe in the Americanized version of Jesus with the blonde hair and the blue eyes and the white skin. Not do you believe in the Hollywood version of Jesus. Not do you believe in the Facebook meme version of Jesus. But do you believe in the biblical Jesus? Verse 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews." Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. So, this is the word of the Lord to us today. We end our time this evening with Jesus' body laying bruised, and bloodied, and beaten, and murdered and dead in a borrowed tomb. All of the horror of this day happened according to the plan of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This plan was put together before the foundations of the earth were laid. Before God created anything in the material world around us, he made a plan. And in that plan, there was a list. And on that list, your name was on it. And that plan and that list included this horrendous death of his one and only son, Jesus who, according to Hebrews, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised the shame. Why? So that you and I, according to John 20, verse 31, may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you and I may have life in his name. And the question that still remains is do you believe? Is this the Jesus that you believe in? I want to pray. Father, I pray that you would take this word and that you would apply it to our hearts this evening, that you would help us to walk away from this and in some respect be gripped by the horror of the story, by the depth of the story. Lord, that you would capture us by the power of your spirit, And that you would help us to feel the weight of our sin and the horror of the death of Jesus in our place. That you would help us to be humbled, to be quieted, and to contemplate the horror of the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.TheWellHastings.com.